How's everybody doing this morning? Wave at me if you're doing okay. All right, just making sure you haven't fallen asleep yet. If you fall asleep during my sermon, I'm going to throw something at you. It's not a Bible because we love Bibles, and plus mine's in an iPad, so it probably hurts you a lot worse. But if you do fall asleep, uh, maybe you dream of good things and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. So before we get started with my sermon, uh, I am going to pray for somebody. I don't often do this, but um, Riley, if you would stand up. I hate to embarrass you. Just stay right there. You don't have to come up here. Just stay right there. Riley has been with us for a while. This is Alan Mitchell's grandson, and so Alan, Alan has been hanging out with him for several months now, and uh, Riley's getting, to, getting ready to go back to the big peach in Clanton, right? That's today. So he's been with us for a while. Uh, my original pastor, my first pastor, used to call, when we would do this, he'd call it the left hand of fellowship, but that sounds like something you'd do to your kid when they're acting up, so we're not going to call it that. <laughs> he's coming back from time to time, but we just want to bless him as he goes. Uh, one of the things we'd love for you to do, if you've been, if you've been part of Riley's life, uh, not everybody has, but most of us have, if you would maybe think about a word that God has given you over this season, something you sense about Riley, um, a, a prophetic thing, it could be a, a scripture, it could be just a heart to bless him, whatever you, what do you want to share, you can give that to Alan or you can, you can give it, you got cards right back here. So we want to bless him as he goes, but I want to pray for him and just, um, first of all, just say, Thank God for Riley and who he is and who God made him to be. He's still on that journey discovering a lot of that, and we're excited about that. But he's had an amazing time here at DCF, and God has just really poured into his life. He's made a whole lot of new friends, old friends, right? I mean, older friends. They're, <laughs> they're new friends, but most of them are older. So it's some, a, few, a few young friends. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. But we want to pray for him and just bless him and ask the Lord to just continue to be with him, to show himself strong to Riley. Um, something we have a heart and a passion to do. So if you would, just reach your hand toward Riley. We're going to pray for him right now. So Jesus, thank you so much for Riley. Um, Lord, thank you that he is fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, he's not an accident, never has been, never will be. God, you poured out gifts and callings and passions in this young man's life. Lord, I pray you help him sort that towards you. Lord, that his heart would be open even more than it has been and already has been here in his time with us even more, Lord, would be more open to you as he moves forward in his life, that you continue to talk to him and let him know how much you love him, how much you care for him, Lord, that you do have a plan, and it's a good plan. So, Lord, I just pray that you would remind him of that, and, Lord, just thank you, Lord, for the blessing that we've had to get to know Riley. Uh, Thank you for Alan and his family. God, again, we just pray your blessing upon them. and Just, Lord, we just say thank you that your favor is upon them because of what Jesus did and that your favor is upon Riley because of what Jesus did on the cross. And for that, Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Riley. So I want to jump into um, this series this, this morning, um, God Before You. I mentioned before when we put, the, uh, uh, put this up here, it looks like a, a text from a 12-year-old girl. No offense to 12-year-old girls anywhere. It's just <laughs> but I really felt like this was something when God put this up here. This is kind of what it connected to because I had two sermons um, and, it, and it just fell into the first one, of course, being um, God uh, going before us. And so we talked a lot about that last week in Deuteronomy 31.8. I launched out of there. Um, this is, he is the Lord who is, goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He'll not fail you or forsake you. And then because of that, you don't have to fear or be dismayed. You ever been fearful, been dismayed? The truth is you don't have to be if you really get this. Second scripture, I gave you like four or five, but the second scripture was Isaiah 45.2. And this is God saying, I will go before you and will level the mountains. The whole idea behind that is if you ever had to make a road in that time, you didn't have heavy equipment. So when you came up on a mountain, it would just overwhelm you. Like, this is going to take forever. 
And one of the promises of God is he'll restore the years that the locusts have eaten, which is an old Hebrew way of saying that all the things that the enemy came in to destroy your crops, to bring famine, to put you behind when you should be ahead, the Bible says that God will restore those years. It's a powerful phrase. He goes on, he says, He'll level the mountains, he'll break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. The whole idea behind that is you can't do that, but he can. And if you are in him and he is in you, then he has gone before you. If you're in Christ, he has gone before you. And part of that is just understanding. So we talked about how that's a beautiful picture of God's protection and his provision for our lives. And we talked, um, and I think Diana mentioned it even this morning in prayer time, about how God has gone way before us that there was an eternal covenant, that the covenant that you, you are experiencing the benefits of the new covenant, that new covenant was not made with you and God. It was made between God and His Son. You are just the benefactor. And when you understand that, the, the, the question comes, how do I break the covenant? In the old covenant, if you didn't do what God said you should do, if you disobeyed, you broke the covenant. And if you broke it in one place, this is what the Bible says, you've broken it in the whole law. Not just, you know, I'm 98% there. Nope, there's no such thing. It's all or nothing, which is the whole point of showing what was necessary for us to come before the Lord was perfection. And we could not do that in our own strength, which is why Jesus did it. He offered his holy blood, right? Um, It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, so it wasn't covering sin. It was the pure blood of the Messiah, and because of that, your sin has been taken away, and that's past tense. And what God has done, nobody can, can break that up. So it's helpful to understand that protection and provision, but he's gone way before us. And this new covenant is a promise made by God to Jesus. So let me just read a couple of parts of Hebrews 7. It says, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. If, if the old covenant was still good, they would still be offering the blood of bulls and goats, but they don't. Hebrews 6 says he would never change his mind. Um, verse 18 says that it was unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. And then finally it said, there's a hope that lies before us. This hope is strong and trustworthy anchor. It is an anchor that settles everything. When the winds are tossing you, when life is coming at you, this sense of God going before you is an anchor. This new covenant is an anchor that never lets go. So no matter how the wind tosses you, the anchor never lets go. And so this morning I want to talk about if God before you. So we talked about how God goes before you in last week's message. But this morning, this is, of course, out of Romans 8.31. So I just want to read you three translations of Romans 8.31, first in the NIV. Um, It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So I want you to take a second and let that sink in. If God is for us, that's a really, really big question, isn't it? See, and the question that we often come up with somewhere in our heart is, is God really for us? Right? That's the question. It's like, yeah, but if, Lord, if you've known what I've done, then you wouldn't be for me. Really? If you, if you knew what I was capable of, Jesus, you wouldn't be for me. Really? It says, if God is for us, it's a big question. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the New Living Translation. This is kind of a paraphrase, not necessarily a translation, but it's really cool. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? <laughs> it throws in this little nuance of what the, the original language is saying, that, that it's not just a, you know, at some point you're going to irritate God to the point where he goes, I'm done now. I don't want to deal you, with you anymore. He knew it all coming into the relationship with you, and he still loved you. It's what the Bible says. Here's, here's the amplified version. 
Romans 8, 31, it says, What then shall we say to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then it says this, Who can be our foe if God is on our side? And see, that's the big idea. If you don't hear anything else this morning, the big idea is who can be against God? So that's really the question. We know God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the next few minutes, so I'm going to prove to you God is for you. Okay? So we talked about that last week. We talked about the, the, you know, the eternal covenant that was way before you even came on the scene when God made the decision to rescue you and to, and to go before you. And so I want to talk about how if God is for me, then who can be against me? And so just think about this for a second. We often think of God as, you know, there's good and there's evil and somehow they're equal. That is not true. Not even remotely true. In the Bible, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was a tree of life. Remember this? And so before mankind knew the difference between good and evil, there was God. God is the creator of all things. He is not created. He, he comes before everything. He is the source. He is not part of the creation. He created the creation, right? Even science right now uh, agrees that there was a big bang. And we can argue about who pulled the trigger, but we all know, right? We know it wasn't us. How about that? We definitely know it wasn't us. So the big idea is there, there is God who is the creator, and then there are all other things. We think about yin and yang. I studied Eastern mysticism, and yin and yang was, you know, there's a little bit of evil and a little bit of good. There's, you know, there's the good dog and the bad dog fighting, and the one that wins is the one you feed the most. And we get all these philosophies about life, and the Bible calls them vain philosophies. Why? Because they're not true. Right? So if you think of, you know, it's a battle between good and evil, one, maybe quit watching so much Star Wars and read your Bible more, right? Because what the Bible teaches is God started the whole thing, and if you see it, and we're going to get to Revelation in just a second, but before Genesis even occurred, something was going on in the heavenlies before there were even heavenlies, okay? And then at some point, it all gets wrapped up. The Bible says it's, it's, it's wrapped up like a scroll. It just, it's like clothes being folded. It's all put to rest. And God lives outside of that whole thing. And when we understand that, it helps us have a bit better perspective. So here's the question. If God is for me, then who is against me? See, that's the question. Is there somebody against us? What is against us? If God has to be for us, then who or what is against us? I'm really glad you asked. So here's a couple of them. One is the flesh, right? So I'm not going to get too deep into these. I'm just going to give you some reference scriptures so you can go study this. But one is the flesh. And that's kind of the leftover, if you will. It's not our nature. We don't, have, we don't still have the old nature. You hear this all the time in sermons. You hear this all the time in preaching. You hear it all the time in Christian, you know, especially on Facebook, all these different places, that we're fighting our old nature. My Bible school teacher taught me this. He said, you're dead. Your, your, your old man is never so dead that he can't be resurrected. And he was wrong. <laughs> he was 100% wrong when he said that to all of us in Bible school, and I had to unlearn that and learn the truth that that there's no, my my old man is so dead that he can't be resurrected. That's what the Bible teaches. And when we get that, it begins to make a difference in us because the flesh is that part of us, it's it's the mindsets, it's the paradigms, it's it's ways. That's why the Bible says to learn new ways, right? God's ways are not like your ways. Why? Because there are ways, there are patterns in our life that we have to let go of, we have to learn new ways of thinking, we have to create new patterns. We have to be transformed, the Bible says, by renewing our mind. So something about the flesh is this old thing that keeps grabbing hold of us. It's the desires, it's the lusts of the flesh. Those things are still going to try to get the better of us. But the Bible says we are no longer ruled by sin. Sin, we are dead to sin, and sin is dead to us. 
Amen? We don't always act like that. That's why the Bible says reckon sin, to you, you to be dead to sin, and, and sin dead to you. So the other one is the world. Romans 12.2 says don't conform to the pattern of this world. So there's the flesh that's drawing you in that's connected to the world in the sense that it's wanting to follow the easy patterns. We have ideas right now in America, all over the world. There are ideas that are floating. They call them new ideas. They're all old ideas. These are ideas that came from the enemy himself, right? That if they get a hold of a, of a culture, if they get a hold of a people, they destroy the people every single time. One of those is socialism, communism. There's a bunch of isms that aren't. You know what I'm saying? And so when you understand that, what happens is these old ideas raise their ugly head and they call them new and they say dumb things like this has never been tried this way before, right? And we all laugh. I mean, anybody with a brain and understands history, we laugh. Why? Because those philosophies are, again, what the Bible calls vain philosophy. So the world has a mind. It has an idea of what you ought to do. It's trying to take your kids somewhere. And if you don't fight for your kids, the culture will get a hold of your kids. Why? Because there's an intention in the culture. There's an intention in the flesh. And all of that ultimately comes from what the Bible calls the enemy of our soul, right? Satan, the devil. So most of you guys know this. We see Satan wasn't created. God didn't create the devil. He created Lucifer, who was an angel. Go back and study this for yourself. And this angel fell. Now, there's a lot of stuff on there, in there you might have questions about, and that's totally okay. Do some study around this, but here's the point. When he fell, the Bible says other angels fell with him, and now there's an enemy of your soul. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. So he's connected to the world and to the flesh and all the things that are trying to take people away from, from God. Remember in, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, um, the, the Bible says the serpent comes and he's, he's representative of the devil. And so he, he mentions something to these guys about, you know, if God, God's actually trying to hide some things from you. So he impugns God's goodness. It's one of the first things he does, and he has not stopped doing it in thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So you can't fall for it. So there's a devil. The Bible says, Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God. We've all heard this. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. How many of you guys knew there were schemes against you? There are plans against you. They're not new plans. They're old plans. But the reason he keeps using the old plans is because they're super effective, right? And they're not just effective against broken, hurting people in the world. They're effective against you and I. That's why the Bible says to guard your heart. Right, because out of it flow the issues of life. You can't, you cannot ever leave the wall. Right? The Bible calls us watchmen on the wall. There has to be an intentionality and a recognition that we are we're in a war, we're in a battle in this world, and that battle never stops. The good news is our brothers and sisters can look out for us and we can get some rest, thankfully, right? So that's one reason why community exists. But make, make no mistake, mistake, there is no rest from the war. There's no rest to the battle. The place you find rest is in God, and then God gives you the strength to fight the battle. So you're not fighting it in your own strength. And that's, uh, that's actually in a whole other series. It says, put on the armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. And then the last one that's against you, who's, who is, if God has to be for you, who's against you? And this is the worst one. And the worst one is you. <laughs> you are against you. We fight ourselves so often and we don't realize it because we buy into lies, we buy into philosophies, and then they begin to take root in our heart, right? 
That's why the Bible says there are thoughts that come into your head that are not your thoughts. And that's why the Bible says when those thoughts come in, they're being offered from somewhere, the flesh or the world or some way, in some fashion, the enemy of our soul has a scheme against us. And the Bible says that what, what you have to do is to take those thoughts captive, right? There's something you have to do. If you pray and say, God, would you do this for me? And God's going to point you back in the, to the cross and he's going to say, I did, right? God, pretty please will you? And God's always saying, absolutely, I did. Now, what's our part? And that's the big deal, is the co-laboring part. If God be for you, who can against, be against you? And the answer is, there's no devil in hell that can take you out. There is no scheme of the devil. There is no flesh. There is no worldly culture. There is no philosophy that can take you out. Only you, by aligning with those things, can take you out. And even then, all it's going to do is prevent you from walking in the inheritance of God in this world, and it's going to cause you to sin against your brother and create havoc in this world for them. But you can't take away your salvation. That's good news, right? So, how's that work? There's a couple of them. It's kind of difficult, but here's, let me just give you a, a couple of them. Um, old habits. You know, we talked about this. These old mindsets. The flesh takes advantage of this. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. You know why it says that? Because it, it's the easiest path, right? Water loves the path of least resistance, and so does our, our flesh, right? It's just easier to just go, I'm just going to give up, right? And, and so the Bible says don't do that. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. In other words, as you renew your mind, as you think like God thinks, you won't be transformed by the world. You won't conform to the pattern of the world. You will begin to come out of the world, the Bible says, and you will be separate. You will be set aside. You will be holy. That's what it means to be holy, is to be set aside for a holy purpose, right? And so the, how do you do that? You, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it says if you do this, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, you're hearing God for your life going, this is the direction I'm supposed to be going. And when I'm in God and when, when I'm with God, the enemy can't take advantage of me. It's just, not, it's just the way it works. Another one in me is ignorance. This is a big one. 2 Timothy 2.15 says to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God. It doesn't mean that you somehow have to earn your salvation because we tend to read that into Scripture because that's what, what we've been taught. But it's not true. So it says, be diligent. That means intentional. That means you have to be focused. You have to be diligent to present yourself approved. In other words, learn and grow. Come out of ignorance. Be intentional. Learn the ways of God. It says, a workman. In other words, it's not going to be necessarily easy all the time, right? But again, if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you're never going to win. The only way we do this is resting in the finished work of what Jesus has done in you. And I'm going to get to that. It, says, it goes on, it says, no need to be ashamed. It's not talking about, again, sinfulness and falling away from salvation. It's not what it's talking about. It's, it's saying that I should have known better. There's no excuse. And that was the hard one because it's like, man, why do I keep falling for this? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like Lucy and Charlie, was it been 60 years that she keeps saying, no, I'll, I promise this time. And, he, and, you know, he's so good-hearted. He's like, oh, yeah, I believe you. Like, honey, she's been lying to you for 60 years. She's never going to change, right? So maybe break off the relationship with Lucy. That's, I'm sure that's for somebody somewhere. All right, so the last one is laziness. Um, laziness is just, a, again, an unwillingness to engage. And it's the, actually the easiest way for the enemy to take advantage. So let me just kind of give you 
what I call the gradual erosion of authority. Because, see, God has given you authority. He's crowned you with majesty. The Bible says you've created lower, a little lower than the angels, but you've been crowned with majesty from on high. What does that mean? That means that you are now like Jesus. You carry the authority of the Son of God in your heart and your life. Why? Because He's in you and you are in Him, right? So, what does this look like? So, I want you to just imagine you've got a piece of property. Maybe it's a big piece of property. But imagine a thief who moves into the corner of your yard, right? And you notice it, and you're like, you know what? That's way down there, so it's not that big a deal, is it really? So you just kind of ignore it. You do nothing. And then he moves a little closer, and then eventually he actually moves into your garage when you're away for a couple of days. And now he's in your garage, and that's really hard to get him out of there, so you do nothing. Then he moves into your bedroom, and you do nothing. Then he's in the whole house, and he's moved you into the yard. (laughs) And you do nothing. So how do you fix that? What can you do? Well, here's a start. Don't let him in your yard in the first place, right? That's a really good start. But if you don't know that, you're just going to go, you know, that's gonna, it's going to create some problems. I'm, I'm going to have to confront this issue. I'm going to have to go down there. It's, it's liable to get ugly, and I don't like confrontation, so I'm just going to leave it alone, right? And so there's a gradual, a gradual erosion of Jesus' authority inside of you because you allow and you allow and you allow till it takes you, right? So the picture of sin is always this. Sin is no big deal in the beginning. <laughs> it's just not a big deal. It's, I can handle this. I, I got this under control. And you start. Whatever it is, it can be porn. It could be a love for money. It could be fear. It could be a hundred different things. It doesn't matter what the attack is. The Bible says for you to lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. That means some sins beset you easier than those sins would beset somebody else. So whatever your struggle is, It's no different than someone else. They might be struggling with something else, but there's still the struggle. What does it mean, though? It means that you don't have to submit if you know better. But it's not enough to just to know. You also have to do something about it. You have to take the authority that's been given you and do something with the authority. So what does that look like? Well, in this scenario, you call the police, and the police comes out, and the guy's in your house, and what's the old adage, you know, possessions nine-tenths of the law? Now, think about that if the devil's possessing you, right? That's, the law's not going to help you. That's, a, again, a whole other series, right? So what does, the, what does the, the policeman do? He comes in. He's got authority in his badge. He's got power in his gun. He can call all of, all of the other policemen. He can call in the National Guard, the entire army, if he needs to get you off the property. Getting that person off the property is not a problem. God's authority is ultimate. His power is ultimate. There is no enemy who can stand. Go read Scripture. Whenever Jesus approached the demon, every time he said something to them, they knew their moments were numbered, and they had no no option but to leave and to do what Jesus told them to do, right? This is the power of God. So what does the devil take advantage of? The devil says, my house, I've been here for a very long time. I'm sorry you can't kick me out. So what would the policeman do, do you think? Would he ask for your deed? Do you know if you have a deed? If you do, what do you do? You present this deed and go, see this? This right here, this belongs to me, right? This is mine. My identity is connected to this property and this land and this house. This is mine. So the Bible says, this is 1 Corinthians, do you not, do you not know your body is a temple? <clears throat> goes on and says, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. If you're, if you're a believer, you're not your own. And it goes on, it says, for you have been bought with a price. 
So when the enemy comes in and he says, you know what, this is mine, I can do what I want, I'm going to tear you up with sickness, I'm going to tear you up with fear, finances, whatever the issue is, you have one of two options. You can submit and gradually give away your authority, let your authority be eroded, or you can take the deed, you can remember, oh, wait a second, you can't do that to me because I've been bought with a price. The authority that oversees me is not my own because I'm created a little lower than the angels. Remember what the Bible says, that Lucifer was an angel? So he has power over me, which is why he has power over the world, unless I am in Christ. Why? Because when I'm in Christ, now I have been crowned with majesty from on high. And now the authority that I have is more than the authority that he has. The truth is, he has no authority because Jesus took it away from him on the cross. Right? So what does that mean practically for you? What does it mean practically for all of us? You have to apply authority. So, and we we were talking about this, uh, Diana did such a phenomenal job this morning leading us in prayer about God's faithfulness, and especially about the, the, the part where we have to remember that sometimes it takes time, right? We don't understand, we can't wrap our head completely around why God is doing something, but why would we impugn God with, God has given me sickness to teach me something? Where do you see that in Scripture? Where? I'd love to have a conversation about where do we see this kind of foolishness, but we buy into it, and somehow we also say, well, you know, I haven't done well. I've sinned. I've messed up. So therefore, what we do is the enemy comes. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, right? He comes, and he says, you know what? You've messed up. There's probably a reason why you're sick, actually. You know, it's probably because you've messed up, because you're in sin, and he goes down this list. Now, don't get me wrong. There's aspects of of resentment and anger and unforgiveness that can grab hold of your heart and it can cause problems in your physical body. I've seen it a million times. I've seen when it's been, when it's let go and the Lord takes it away from a person, I've seen them instantly recover from things physically that they shouldn't be able to recover from, right? So that's part of it. But here's how the enemy gets you. He says, you deserve this. He, he tempts you and he tempts you and he tempts you with the world and with the flesh and everything else, Right? You're led away by your own heart sometimes because you want to do something that you know better. Something in that flesh or those old traditions or old habits begin to draw you back and lie to you and say, hey, this feels good, and it does for a season. But the Bible says the end of sin is always death, whether it's death to a relationship, death to your relationship with God, and the sense of God is for you and not against you. You think he's against you and not for you. And so sin always brings death, which is why the Lord says you're not made for it. It's not for you. You're dead to it. You have to reckon yourself dead to it. You can turn from sin, the Bible says. So why is that so powerful? Because when you apply the authority and you say, you know what? I'm going to speak to this enemy, whatever it is, and I'm going to speak based on what the deed says, not whether I deserve it, because I don't. So when the enemy comes in and says, you know what? You deserve this. You can say, you know what, that part I actually agree with. However, what I know is this, that I don't have the goodness of God because I deserve it. I, I got it because he wants me to have it, right? And when you capture that, it begins to change everything. So the only way the enemy can have power over us is to trick us into thinking that he does, right? Every time I've ever come up against a demonic presence, someone's, I've prayed for someone and a demon manifests itself and talks to me, which has happened a few times, Every single time, every single time, I sense this authority inside of me that I know is greater than him. And Scripture actually says that, that he's greater than us. So Satan, the accuser, desires to remind believers of their sin and their unworthiness so he can sow doubt into your hearts and into your minds. And that's how he wins. 
Satan says, look at your sinfulness. Jesus says, or God says, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, right? So let me just kind of cover this, and and I'm going to be done here pretty quick. Revelation 20, I said I was going to get to Revelation. Revelation 20, Satan is defeated. The devil who had deceived them, hear this, past tense, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down in the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Colossians 2, 15. This is Jesus on the cross and what he did to make this happen. They're talking about the future. In the future, it's past tense. (laughs) It's hard hard to... Grab the timeline, but understand that. So all of this is in the future, the book of Revelations, prophetic word of settling this once and for all. And then what does it say? It goes all the way back and said, this has happened. Now listen to Colossians. This is what happened on the cross. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus himself has become our propitiation. He has become the one, the representative. He's done all the work. Now we just trust in him. So 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. Be sober-minded. Pay attention. You can't let go of this. It goes on. It says, be watchful. Your adversary, you have an adversary. The devil prowls around, hear this, like a roaring lion. There's only one roaring lion, and it's not the devil, right? Seeking someone to devour. He's looking for someone who will come into alignment with him so he can absolutely devour you. Devour you in fear, in brokenness, in addiction, in whatever he can get a hold of you. That's what he's trying to do. He's seeking seeking someone to devour. Don't be that someone. This is what it says. When he comes, right, and he tries this on you, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. God uses us to defeat the devil in our own life. Stop asking God to do stuff for you that he has already done for you. Begin to take authority as a believer. Begin to take authority as a son and say, enough. You don't get to do this to me anymore. You can rant and rave and scream, but that's not the source of your authority. Your emotion, your anger, your frustration, whatever, is not the source of your emotion. It's fine to have it, But yelling and screaming and all that is not how you tell someone you have authority. You just take authority. That's how people find out you have authority, right? So listen to this. This is Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. How? Under your feet. Not his own. That's coming. The Bible says that that at some time in the future, in the near future, that all of the enemies of Christ will be made his footstool. How is that happening? Ultimately, we know God wins. It's not a competition. We've read the end of the book. You can bet on this and make a lot of money if you try, right? So what is this saying? It's saying that there's a part that you play, co-laboring, co-heir. There's a part that you play that you must take the authority that's been given you. If you don't understand it, the enemy will, will bluff you and win every single time if you don't know any better. That's why you must show yourselves approved. That's why you've got to be diligent. It's why you can't be lazy. It's why all these things are important. There's something on your behalf, something that you must do to take advantage of what God has done for you. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Right? That's how you do it. 
1 John, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let me say that again. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So whatever those fears are, whatever those issues are, Jesus in you is greater than whatever is coming against you. But if you don't believe it, it may as well not be true for you because you will never experience the inheritance that Jesus has for you until you take the inheritance that Jesus has for you. Right? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves. It's yours to do. You submit. What does submit mean? It means to come underneath someone else's mission. It's not a bad thing because Jesus has submitted himself to the Father. So I promise you it's not negative. And then the husband, this is what the Bible says about this. It says that the husband submitted to Christ. Christ is submitted to the Father. So therefore, wives, submit to your husbands. Oh, that's a tough one in our modern day and age, right? Because we think of submission as lesser than. Then you don't understand submission, which is why the enemy can take advantage of you. But if you don't understand submission, you're like, I'm, I'm going to be 10 feet tall and bulletproof. No, you're going to be a foot tall and a bullet magnet. That's what you're going to be, right? It's not going to go well for you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, and then do this. Resist the devil. You don't get to do this to me. Well, it's been happening for a very long time. All the more, you don't get to do this anymore, right? I'm taking a stand and saying enough is enough. I can't force anything, but I can take the authority and then trust that God is going to bring the power for that authority to settle in. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Remember Jesus. He goes away. He's led away into the desert. This, this, there's this beautiful encounter that happens, beautiful, because the enemy comes at him with Scripture, and Jesus recounts it with the right Scripture. You don't get to use Scripture on me, because the devil will use the Bible on you, <laughs> right? Religions, cults, are, are that very scheme from the enemy to take hold of your life with the very Scripture of God. That's why you have to be diligent to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth, right? I'm not trying to take something on that's not mine. If Scripture doesn't say it, I'm not in it. So here's the, here's the kicker for all of this. The source, and I mentioned it already, but the source of my authority is the finished work of Jesus. Not my anger, not my frustration, not any of those things. They're fine, but they often grab hold of our hearts and try to be the source of our authority, and they're not. So let me just give you a few things, and I'm done. It's, this is Hebrews 9, 28, uh, Hebrews 10, 2. I'm just going to throw these out there. You can look these up later. But it says, I have been forgiven and cleansed once for all. So when the enemy comes in and says, yeah, I want to talk to you about your sins, you're like, good luck, because I've already had that conversation with Jesus, and it's finished, and it's settled. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, is what Hebrews 9 says. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? This is Hebrews 10. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all. If the old covenant was going to work, they, they would have stopped offering sacrifices, but they never did. But Jesus offered it once. Here's another one. By one sacrifice, I've been made perfect forever. Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, those who are in Christ, they are being made perfect. They are made perfect forever. That's past tense. I've been made holy through Jesus' sacrifice once for all. Already mentioned that, Hebrews 10, 10, um, once for all. Another one is, I have been reconciled to God. This is Colossians. I want you to hear this. This is really, really powerful. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body and through death 
to present you holy in His sight. When you stand before God right now, if you are in Christ, you are holy, perfect. Listen to me. You are completely, 100% forgiven. 100%. But what if I sin? I don't care if you sin. I'm telling you what Jesus is telling us. This is true. Well, can Christians sin? Of course Christians can sin. Of course we can. Should we? No. Of course not. But sometimes we do. If you sin, what does Scripture say? You have an advocate with the, with the Father ever living. Listen, because we get the Scripture screwed up. We have an advocate with the Father, and we think because we heard, you know what, he's an advocate. He's arguing with the Father. Oh, Father, please forgive them. Look at the, what I did on the cross. I paid the price. I mean, you don't have to be angry with them. Like somehow there's an argument, and somehow Jesus is okay. And like in other religion, we take that one, one step further, and we're like, well, I can't even trust Jesus, so we'll drop that down to the saints, and I'll ask the saints to ask Jesus to, ask Jesus to forgive me for the Father. And we think there's an argument going on in heaven. The argument started and finished with the Bible saying that Jesus was, or God made a promise to Jesus that I'm going to take away their sin forever. Long before creation ever occurred, anything ever happened. It's powerful, right? I've been holy. I've been made holy through Jesus' sacrifice once for all. And it goes on, it says, He reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free, listen to this, and free from accusation. So here's the thing. Are you free right now from accusation? I'll bet, I'll bet this morning a bunch of us have walked in the door accusing ourselves. Like we've literally jumped on the bandwagon with the enemy. And I just want to challenge you. Why would you do his work for him? Listen to this scripture again. This is Colossians 1.22. Without blemish and free from accusation. Does that mean the enemy's not going to try to accuse you? Of course he's going to accuse you. He's going to move on your property and he'll be in your living room before you know it. Unless you take a stand and push back. I have fellowship with God. We covered that last week. And the final one is this. What happens when this happens to you? You walk differently. You act differently. Do you think you're going to be proud and arrogant when you know the price was paid for you, you didn't pay it for yourself? Of course not. It's going to raise a humility inside of you that's phenomenal. But it's also going to create an understanding of there is an authority within me because of what Jesus did. That no devil from hell, no vain philosophy in my own mind, not the world, not the flesh, not anything can take me away from the love that is in Jesus Christ. Nothing can take you out of God's hands. Nothing except you. Now, here's the truth of it. You can't even take yourself completely out of his hands because God will fight for you even when you're not fighting for yourself. When we, this is what Scripture says, when we are faithless, he is absolutely faithful. What would it look like if you begin to work with him? What would it look like if you begin to co-labor in this mindset and say, I am absolutely, totally, 100% completely forgiven. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he wasn't kidding. It is absolutely finished. I don't have to argue anymore. I don't have to argue with the devil. I just tell him what has happened. I just settled it in my soul. Once for all, it's done. I've finished it. I've settled it. And there's never an argument with the enemy again. He's always going to rise up, and the Bible says when he does, here's the pattern, submit yourself, resist, and he will flee. I've had this happen over and over. My, how many times the devil's tried to kill me physically? I can't even begin to tell you how many times. One time, with the last time that he tried, it took me out for almost a year. And here 
I still am, right? And here you still are. The enemy can't take you out. He can't, but you can. Well, what happens when you get this is it not only does it for you, this is where it begins to turn into mission because this is powerful. My totally forgiven state is, pow- is a powerful inspiration to forgive others. Now listen to this. This is Ephesians 4. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Why? Because you can, right? You're not bogged down with sin anymore. It says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Past tense, God forgave you, so you now can forgive others. Here's another passage. That was Ephesians 4.32. This is Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Welcome to church. We're going to screw it up. We're going to get on each other's nerves. Our gifts are going to challenge one another. Even if it's legitimate, at best, we're still going to get irritated with one another. But it says to bear with each other and forgive one another. How can you do that? If you have a grievance against someone, how? How can you do this? Here's how. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, this is contrasted. Listen, this is contrasted to Matthew 6.14. When Jesus was speaking in Matthew 6.14, this is the Sermon on the Mount but he's speaking to people who are under the law. This is not the New Covenant, even though the page after the Old Testament says the New Testament, the New Testament doesn't begin till Jesus dying on the cross. Part of the the first part of Matthew 5 is the promise, and Jesus is constantly prophesying of the promise of the New Covenant until he finally pays the price for it to come. But this is what it says in Matthew 6, and this is how we often operate with one another. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. And the enemy takes that, and and, and because you don't know what Colossians 3.13 and Ephesians 4.32, you don't understand what the new covenant has said, you buy into this and you apply this to yourself when you're under the new covenant as if you were still under the old covenant. And this happens all the time. And I want to challenge you on this. Get to know the new covenant. Understand the new covenant. Study it. Why? Because this is going to be one of the key ways the enemy is going to try to take authority out of your life. So listen to it again. It says, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Because we've heard that. That's part of the Lord's prayer, actually. We've heard that. This is what happens. When you don't live it out perfectly, when you're not loving others the way you know you ought to be doing it, guilt and shame and condemnation is pushed towards you. And if you don't understand the new covenant, you will hear that accusation and you will agree with it and align yourselves with it and you will walk as if you are not forgiven. This is not a small thing. So the Bible speaks to this in a huge way. The Lord came to me recently and said, I want you to speak tenderly to my people. It doesn't feel like I'm speaking tenderly, does it? (laughs) But hear this. If you get this, if you get this, what begins to happen? There is no devil in hell that is going to take you out. You can be laying on your deathbed, and you're like, the enemy's going to come say, I'm going to kill you. This literally happened to me. I'm lying half unconscious. I'm on drugs in ICU in in Denver, Colorado, and I'm in this room. It's dark. And I hear this lie come into my spirit. It just, these thoughts come. I can't even track my own thoughts, so I knew it wasn't me. And the thought said, you are going to die. 
You're going to die soon. You're going to leave DCF without a pastor. All the work that God's called DCF to do is going to, is going to be thrown into chaos, and maybe it's not even going to happen at all, which I, that's definitely pride because I know it's not about me. And then he said this, you're going to leave your wife alone. And I'm hearing that, and I can't even get my heart, my thoughts together to make a defense. As I'm hearing this, my wife wakes up right in that moment, wakes up in the middle of the night, comes over, lays her hand on me, and starts praying and said, Devil, you are a liar. He is going to live and not die. She began to declare the promises over me. I began to receive that and soak that in, and it just it took and just pushed all the lies from the enemy out. Even when I couldn't do it, this is where community comes into play. Other people can pray and lay hands on you and believe for you. That was the promise that Karen was, sh- uh, was saying before, that we will stand together. Dave Weisinger brought this out during prior, prayer time. We stand together as a family. If you get a, a something, an accusation from the enemy, even if it's a, a bad report from a doctor, and this is what he says, we don't care how long it takes. We're with you. We're for you. We're going to stand with you until we see change or you go meet, to G, meet Jesus yourself and none of it matters anymore. Amen? <laughs> Why don't you stand with me? I, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I get passionate about this because here's the main reason. I care about you guys making it. I watch so often where the enemy takes advantage of God's people. And I share and I challenge and I want to do it in a careful way. But I want to be passionate and I want to remind you that if you will take a stand in Christ, if you will just recognize I am fully in Christ. Listen, if you have not made that decision to become a believer, to fully put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf, if you've not done that, None of this is going to help you. The enemy is going to beat you around like a ping pong ball. He is. He's going to tear your life to pieces, and there's nothing that you can do about it. You think you're in control. You have never been in control. You think you're free, and your freedom becomes addiction. But if you are in Christ, nothing, nothing, nothing the enemy can throw at you will stick if you take a stand and say, enough, I've had enough of this, no more. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you need prayer, we're going to be here. We're going to have our team up here in just a second. I, we give this often, and, and I know there's way more people who need prayer than people who come up for us to pray for. So stop trying to do it yourself. Stop being embarrassed. This is another lie that says, you know what, if you come fr- up front, people are going to go, you know what, that guy comes front every single week. I used to do this constantly. Um, they would give an altar call for nuns who are backslidden and gone off in and joined, I'm, and I would come forward. I'm like, I'm not a nun, but that probably, I need more of Jesus, right? And God broke through in my life to the place where I can, I, sometimes I need prayer too, but I can pray for others. If you need prayer this morning, Man, let us help you. Let us pray with you. Let my wife pray for you. She's good at it. Bring a breakthrough in your life. Let community gather around you. Let's make a difference. But, but mostly, know who you are in Jesus because this is the one way the enemy is going to take advantage of you. And if you, if you take this stand, you become something to be reckoned with. And we begin to see massive transformation in this city and in our families, and all the way into the regions of the earth. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you made a way where there wasn't a way. Lord, and you have placed authority in my hands, Lord. You've you've given it to me. You purchased it on my behalf, and you've given it to me. I don't deserve it. I know that. But you love me 
so much. You have not just saved me, but you've invited me into this mission. And to do this mission, Lord, I need provision, and I need power, and I need authority. And you have given all that to me. It's not something I have to produce myself. So Jesus, thank you that none of this is from me. It is from you. And I know this with the, with the core of who I am. Lord, I pray that we receive this so deeply that no lie could come against our lives anymore and take our minds captive. That we would immediately take the thoughts captive and crush them underneath the presence of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. And so Jesus, rescue us. Save us to the uttermost. Lord, cause us to be a reckoning force of your kingdom and your goodness and your mercy and your love and your gospel in this place with the people I work with, with my family, whoever I touch. Lord, cause us to make a difference because of what you've done in us. And so for that, Lord, we say yes to you and yes to your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you need prayer, always, we would love to see breakthrough come to your life. We're going to have our team. They're going to come up here. We'd love to pray for you. Um, If not, we love you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.